0: I want us to talk about a contrast. Last week we looked at an Old Testament story, an Old Testament scripture that that definitely describes what the faith and attitude of God's people in trying times should be. We looked at 2 Chronicles chapter 17 and we looked at Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, the southern kingdom. And how his leadership demonstrates the effect on a nation when you have such godly leadership. It talked about the but the word of God, the influence the word of God has on a people. And as they when they know God's word how that strengthens them, how that influences them, how that causes them to be able to stand in extremely difficult and troubling times. We looked at it last week, and we also saw what happens when you compromise. There are dire consequences when you compromise like Jehoshaphat did. But there was still victory. And the reason there was victory... Is because God's people determined in their hearts to seek God, to turn from their wicked ways, to repent, to trust God through all of it. And it was a wonderful, wondrous example of God's people looking to God. It was a beautiful picture of turning back to God and trusting Him. And the reason that they did that is because they knew the Word of God. They trusted God because of having an understanding of his promises and his word. And so what a, what a glorious story it was with King Jehoshaphat and what he brought to, the, uh, to Judah, to the southern kingdom. This morning, I want to contrast that with the northern kingdom and a king that was a contemporary of Jehoshaphat, Ahab. Now, we've heard much about Ahab and, and his wickedness and sinfulness, and we're going to be looking at that. But I want to contrast what a godly king will bring to a nation versus an ungodly king will bring to a nation. Uh, we know that as we look at the southern kingdom in Judah, they weren't always, I mean, they had their bad kings too. Uh, after the, the split, after Solomon died and, and the, the, the nation of Israel was spit, uh, split between the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, with the northern kingdom uh, being Samaria uh, and the southern kingdom uh, being Judah, uh, we know that during the history, uh, Israel, the northern kingdom, had 19 kings. And they were batting 100% when it comes to bad kings. Every one of Israel's kings were bad uh, the southern kingdom wasn't a whole lot better off but they were better off the southern kingdom they had 20 kings but 12 of them were bad eight of them were good but boy when they were good you can see how God blessed and and dealt with them and led them in the in the in the glorious things that that took place as they introduced God's word into their into their lives but here we have Ahab, who is a, uh, the north, uh, king uh, of the north. And again, remember after Solomon died, they split that kingdom. And after they split, there was never a king that was of the line of David. They, after the split, Israel never had a king that searched after God the northern kingdom of Israel from the time that there was the split and Jehoabam became the king all the way until they went into Assyrian captivity there was never a good king there was never one that that looked to do right in the eyes of God and their wickedness was just incredible and when God's word says in Hosea my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge folks there can't be a more evident contrast than that split than that, than that lack of knowledge and what, what occurred there. So, this morning I want to talk about choices made. Choices made. A contrast of kings. Choices made and, and lessons learned. And, and what you need to understand with the northern kingdom, with the northern kingdom, they had prophets. They had some pretty outstanding prophets that were courageous that spoke God's word, prophets like Elijah, uh, prophets like Elisha, Hosea, Amos, all of these prophets of God made sure the northern kingdom, Israel, understood, thus saith the Lord. But unfortunately it fell on deaf ears, on a sin-hardened hearts. And the choice that the northern kingdom made to go after the strange gods of all the nations that when, when Israel came into Canaan and they were supposed to eradicate those uh, nations, that worship those strange gods, well, those strange gods, uh, they clung to, they held on to, and it literally destroyed, destroyed them. But this morning, and I don't want to talk about the northern kingdom's sin. I want to talk about the faithfulness of God. Where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. And I want us to concentrate on that and think about that this morning. So turn with me to first first kings. First kings chapter 16. First kings chapter 16. Now, as we do this contrast to Kings, you're going to say, but wait a minute, I thought we were in 2 Chronicles last week, and we did Jehoshaphat, and didn't you say he was contemporary? Yeah, I did, and we were in 2 Chronicles last week. Keep this in mind, uh, just, to me, I just love this kind of information, but First and 2 Chronicles, 1 and 2 Chronicles covers the exact same amount of time in history from 2 Samuel to 2 Kings. So when you're looking at First and Second Chronicles, you're basically looking at the same amount of time in history as from Second Samuel all the way to Second Kings. The difference is perspective. With, with uh, Chronicles, you're looking at it from a priestly prophet perspective, from what you would maybe call a religious perspective, where uh, 2 Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, it's all about a political from a from a kings from uh, from a government perspective, and so that's that's the difference that you have, and so you get same history, uh, some of the same facts, but as you study the 1st and 2nd uh, Chronicles. Uh, you, there's a little bit more influence on the spiritual nature, uh, nature and what the prophets are teaching and saying and their influence on, on the kings. But 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 28. 1 Kings 17, verse 28. So Amri slept with his fathers and was buried in Samaria, and Ahab his son reigned in his stead. I want to stop there for just a second and remind us all that the wages of sin is death. This Amri was a powerful king. He had servants. He had everything going for him. He had riches galore. But you know what? It's appointed to man once to die, and after that, the judgment. So you had all of these bad kings and you had some really good kings, not Israel, but in, in Israel and Judah. and every one of them, as you read about the kings, whether it be with the northern kingdom or the southern kingdom, it'll talk about this king, and it'll say, "And they slept with their fathers, and they died. They slept with their fathers, and they died. They, whether they were good or bad, they died. Death comes upon all. So let me ask you a question this morning. which? Which group do you think are the happiest right now? Yes, they could say sin was a pleasure. Yeah, they enjoyed you know, the, the power and the might and the influence. But what about now? What about now? I can guarantee you it was the good kings, those that trusted God. When I say good kings, I'm talking about kings that put their faith and trust in God. That, that Jehovah was their God and their desire was to was to serve him. You know, there, there's, there's pleasure in sin. There's pleasure in rebellion. But it only lasts for a little while. And the bottom line is, so Amri slept with his fathers. And that's another way of saying he died. He died. Because death, there's a time to be born, and there's a time to die. And with every one of these kings it says the exact same thing and as we go through this keep this in mind as we look at Ahab and his rebellious nature and the desire of his heart but also the faithfulness of God in the end so Amri slept with his fathers and was buried in Samaria and Ahab his son reigned in his stead verse 29 and the 30th and 8th year of Asa, king of Judah, and Asa was a good king, by the way. He was the father of Jehoshaphat. Remember, we talked about Jehoshaphat last week. Asa was his dad. And Asa, king of Judah, began Ahab, the son of Omri, to reign over Israel. And Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel in Samaria 22 years. Now, I want to go through seven lessons that we're going to learn from this portion of Scripture. Lesson one is legacy is important. Legacy matters. Jehoshaphat's father was Asa. Asa did that which was right in the eyes of God. Asa served God. His son served God. Here, Amri was an evil, wicked king. And the legacy, the heritage that he left was that his son is going to end up doing worse than any of the kings ever before him. So the legacy you leave does matter. Your influence matters on your children. So Amri or Ahab the son of Amri reigned over Israel and Samaria 22 years and Ahab the son of Amri did evil in the sight of the Lord above all that were before him and I got to tell you that was a lot to stand here and describe all that they were involved in in the groves and the worship of Baal and Ashtoreth and all that included uh, was pretty horrible it was awful when they had the true God of heaven who was willing to bless them, who was willing to pour out his blessings, who was willing to protect them, who was willing to do uh, all that, that his people would cry out for him to do. He was willing to do that. Yet they chose to worship the false gods connected with the Canaanite nations that, that had infiltrated that area. And you have to understand that it was all sexually motivated. It was all sexually motivated, and so the children of Israel saw that it appealed to them, and so like moths to a flame, they went that that direction. He did uh, in the sight of the Lord. He did evil above all that were before him. Folks, we're talking about the priestly nation. We're talking about the nation that God intended to be, His nation of priests, His holy people, those He said, I love you, I love you not because you're powerful, not because you're so many in number, because I just choose to love you. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and Deuteronomy chapter 7 where it talks about that. God demonstrated His love toward Israel time after time after time with His protection and His provision, yet... They come into the land, and it's not long, and they're going after strange, strange gods. Verse 31, and it came to pass, as it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that he took to wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Zidonians, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. Marriage is important also, folks. Heritage, lineage, and marriage is so important here. And Jezebel, we know from all that's, that she did and how she d- destroyed the prophets, killed the prophets uh, of God. And she was a wicked, wicked woman. And here was Ahab who took her to be his wife. The Zidonians worshipped Baal. The and the Bell God, he was the God of, of rain and fertility. And they worshiped him, and you can only use your imagination what all that that had when I say sexually what it had to do with. And so they worshiped Bell. He was the, he, he was the God of rain. He was the God of fertility. And what God is going to do here in just a little bit is to show. Who's who's the most powerful? See, God is a jealous God. God understands that those other gods don't exist. He understands that they're made of rock. They're made of wood. They have no heart. They have no eyes. They have no ears. But yet as people go after these strange gods, they worship things that the world offers. And it it causes him to be a jealous God. And he has every right to be jealous. But his jealousy is not the kind of jealousy that we as humans have. His jealousy, it comes from the fact that he knows that he is the true and living God. And his jealousy stems from a deep love and abiding affection for his people and hating to see them going after such filth and degradation. So Ahab goes and he marries Jezebel. And and her dad had even given himself the name uh, connected with Baal. The king, uh, the god of God Baal, and the Zidonians uh, worshipped this Baal, and so here goes Ahab right right after them. After all, he was king. He was king. Look what he does in verse thirty-two, and he reared up an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he had built in Samaria, in northern Israel. He had built a house, a temple, a tabernacle for this false god. And Ahab made a grove, and Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel that were before him. Now the grove represents Ashtaroth. And the groves, the, the the trees were were cut in the shape of a phallic symbol. These these groves were, and this the the one tree that was cut, it would be a a, um, a monument to Ashtaroth. She was the female aspect of this Baal worship. Baal was the male side. Ashtaroth was the female side. And all of the. Uh, the deplorable, perverse things that would take place, Israel was there worshiping in such a matter. And so Ahab made a grove, and Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel that were before him. And in his days did Hael and Bethelite build Jericho, and he laid the foundation thereof in Abraham, his firstborn, and set up the gates thereof in his youngest son of Segob, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Joshua, the son of Nun. The next point. God's word is not going to be mocked. God's word is not going to be mocked. And what God had said was going to happen, what he told Joshua was going to happen way back when they first entered in the land in, 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 in uh, Joshua six twenty six. Joshua said, the Lord said to Joshua, this is going to happen. And sure enough, it found its fulfillment here with Ahab doing exactly what Joshua chapter 6 verse 26 was going to happen. The message here is that Men can think that they're going to have their way, that they can build their empires, they can build their cities, they can can take whatever action they want. If they're kings, they think they're powerful, but what God says is going to occur is going to occur. God's word will not be mocked. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 tells us not to be deceived. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. God's word will not be mocked. God will not be mocked. And so here these this King Ahab thinking, well here's, I'm going to rebuild Jericho. Remember, Jericho was the city that was destroyed when the Israelites came into Jordan, and there was was Jericho, and God instructed them to walk around, and then at a given moment, after a certain amount of days, they blew the horn, and Jericho came falling down. So they rebuilt Jericho. Jericho, in defiance of what God had done. Chapter 17. So, this is kind of give you an idea of who Ahab is. He's not pleasing God. Israel is not pleasing God. They are doing things that are contrary to what God would have a nation, a people do. Chapter 17, verse 1. And Elijah, the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, as the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. Now, what's special about that are two things. Number one, Baal was the God of which? Of what? Rain. He was the God of rain. And so... A, uh, Elijah saying, there's not going to be rain until I say there's going to be rain. And the second thing about that, and folks, this is critical. This is so important. You need to understand that God in his faithfulness and in his love and in his willingness for his people to understand his plan and purpose. He had told his people way back in Leviticus. Leviticus chapter uh, 26. Leviticus 26, 20, 21, and, and 23, it says, if you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments and do them, God will send the rain. He will make sure that you have all the rain. Turn to, turn to Leviticus, chapter 26. I want to make sure we read all of that. Start with verse 1. Leviticus 26, verse 1. Because it's critical to the portion of Scripture we're going to be looking at. And you shall make you no idols nor graven image, neither rear you up a standing image, neither shall you set up any image of stone in your land to bow down unto it, for I am Jehovah, your Elohim. And you shall keep my Sabbaths and reference my sanctuary, I am Jehovah. Now, just in case you want to know whether or not you're pleasing me, here's how you tell. It's basically what God's saying here. Look at verse 3. If you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments and do them, then will I give you rain in due season, and the land shall yield her increase, and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. And your threshing shall reach into the vintage, and the vintage shall reach into the sowing time. And you shall eat your bread to the full and dwell in your land safely. I will give peace in the land, and you shall lie down, and none shall make you afraid. I will rid evil beasts out of the land, neither shall the sword go through your land. If you serve me, if you're faithful, this is what God is saying to the children of Israel and how you're going to know that you're being faithful, that I'm pleased with you, is the first thing is I'm going to make sure it rains in due season. So if it's not raining in due season, what is that an indication of? You're not pleasing God. What he's telling here in Israel. So basically, Elijah says, you're not pleasing God. You've done exactly what he said for you not to do. You're doing it here in the northern kingdom. By the way, they were doing it in the southern kingdom too. Verse 2, And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying to Elijah, Get thee hence, and turn thee eastward, and hide thyself by the brook sheareth that is before Jordan. Now the next point I want you to understand is not only does legacy and heritage matter, Not only is God's word going to be mocked, but the third point here is God provides. And it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. So he went and did according unto the word of the Lord. For he went and dwelt by the brook Sheareth that is before Jordan. So God is hiding him. Elijah's going to them and said, it's not going to rain until I say it's going to rain. And then Elijah skedaddles. God tells him, hey, okay, you've you've delivered your message. You need to go hide yourself because God knows Jezebel. He knows what Jezebel has already done to the prophets of God. She's killed them. He knows Ahab. And so he directs Elijah to get out of Dodge. He tells him where to go, and he says, I'm going to supply, you're going to have water, you're going to have food, just go where I tell you. That's exactly what Elijah does. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord, and he went and he dwelt by the brook of Sheareth that is before Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and flesh in the morning and bread and flesh in the evening, and he drank of the brook. God providing. God protecting. God watching out over his own, and you, basically exact doing for Elijah just exactly what he would say said he was going to do for his people back in Leviticus 26. Verse 7, and this is an interesting point too. We need to make mention of it. And it came to pass after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Folks, sometimes believers suffer even when judgment is on others, there, there are times that we're going to suffer due to the consequences of sin, even of others. And so Elijah, he, he fulfilled what God told him to do. He, he was there where God wanted him to be. But there was still the effect of sin that Elijah was feeling. Uh, feeling. But here's the good thing about that. God had the next stage all figured out, and to me, this is incredible. This is one of the most important aspects of this entire story. Where does God send Elijah? Let's read. And it came to pass after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land, and the word came unto him, saying, Arise. Get thee to Zarephath, which belongs to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. Now, what this tells you is a couple of things. Number one, the, the, the rain was uh, pretty much limited to the nation of Israel. God says, I'm not going to send rain to you. And, and, and that, was, that was judgment on, on the nation of Israel. And he's telling him to go to, to Zidon. Who do we know from Zidon? Jezebel. That's where Jezebel's family's from. That's where Jezebel came from. That's where her daddy is the king. Of all the places you would think that Elijah would want to go, would be right under their nose. See, the other point is that God's ways are not our ways. I would have been arguing with God and saying, Lord, Zidon... You have got to be kidding me. What? Jezebel's from Zidon. She has cousins there. She has people there who know her. And okay, God, right. What do you want to do? Get me killed? You don't love me, God. But see, they're going to look for Elijah. We're going to find out. Matter of fact, look in verse 18. Um, Chapter of verse 10. Look in First 1 Kings 18.10 real quick. As the Lord thy God liveth, there is no nation or kingdom where the my Lord hath not sent to seek thee. And when they said he is not here, he took an oath of the kingdom and nation, and they found thee not. They looked everywhere. But the last place they would think to look for him would be the last place that any sane man would want to go. And we know this is the true story because, you know, even the Lord Jesus referred to this story in Luke chapter 4, verse 26. The Lord talks about the faithfulness of Elijah and his plan and his protection. Luke 4, 26, the Lord mentions Elijah and his faithfulness there. And so he arose and he went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow woman was there gathering of sticks and she called and he called to her and he said, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And you know the story how the woman says, <laughs> I'm getting these sticks. I only have a little bit of oil and a little bit of flour. And I'm going I'm to make some bread out of it. And, then, and I'm going to serve it to my son. And then, then we're going to die because that's it. We don't have any more. And the Lord just, and, and Elijah says, No, you go ahead. You do that for me. And God's going to bless it. And you're not going to run out of oil. You're not going to run out of bread. Until the day it rains. And so you're safe. You can do it. And sure enough God honors uh, that that prophecy. God honors that word. And even during this time. It's when the, the woman's son dies. And Elijah brings him back to life. And performs that miracle. And it's at that time that the woman says. Truly. Truly, you are a spokesman for God. Truly, you are. You speak for God. Verse 24 of 1 Kings 17. And the woman said to Elijah after he, her son was brought back to life. The woman said to Elijah, Now by this I know that thou art a man of God, and that the word of the Lord is in thy mouth, is truth. See, folks, that is the evidence that a resurrection brings to you. It is the resurrection of her son that convinces her that this is God's man. This is God's word. This is true. And by far the resurrection of Christ proves that beyond a shadow of doubt. That he is exactly who he said he is. So even here you have the resurrection. You have this type. And you can believe God's word because of the resurrection. Verse 18, or chapter 18. And it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go show thyself unto Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. And it's been almost three years. Almost been three years. And Elijah went to show himself unto Ahab, and there was a sore famine in Samaria. But lesson number five is when it's time to go to work, it's time to go to work. Elijah had been in hiding. It was time to come out of hiding. It was time to stand and speak for God. This sore famine was having its impact, and Ahab called Obadiah. I think there's like 12 or 13 Obadiahs in the Scripture, so we're not exactly sure which one this is, uh, and this just m- m- may not be the prophet Ob- uh, Obadiah, the one that wrote Obadiah. Um, but That's someone named Obadiah, and he was the king's right hand man. And Ahab called Obadiah, which was the governor of his house. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. As a matter of fact, he did something pretty brave. For it was verse four, for it was so when Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord, that Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them by 50 in a cave and fed them with bread and water. That was a courageous thing to do. So Ahab calls Obadiah, not knowing what Obadiah had done in spite of Jezebel's order. And Ahab said unto Obadiah, Come into the land, or go into the land, to all the fountains of water and to all brooks, perhaps we may find grass to save the horses and mules alive, that we lose not all the beasts. Basically, this is what God said in Leviticus 26. I I won't allow that to happen if you're serving me. But this kind of gives you an idea of just how bad the situation is. This gives you an idea to see how critical the living conditions were at this time my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge so here again had they known god's word we talked about jehoshaphat when when the enemy came against him when hard times came against jehoshaphat what did he do he turned to the living and true god the people of Judah, they knew God's word. They had been indoctrinated with God's word. They had been taught God's word. And when these trials and these difficult times came, they knew God's word as a reference. And they could say, oh, God said, he told us, if my people which will humble themselves and seek my face and call upon my name, repent of their sins, then I will hear from heaven. I will heal their land. Jehoshaphat recalled God's promise As Solomon dedicated the temple, they knew the word of God. Israel had abandoned the true God. They had abandoned the word of God. So when this horrible famine and this uh, drought was upon them, they didn't have anywhere to turn except look into the skies. Anybody see a rain cloud? Any, Any rain in the forecast? they did not turn to God verse 5 so they divided the land between them to pass throughout it Ahab went one way to himself and Obadiah went another way by himself and as Obadiah was in the way behold Elijah met him and he knew him and he fell on his face and he said art thou that my lord Elijah and he answered I am go tell thy lord behold Elijah is here go tell Ahab I'm here I want to talk to him. got something I need to tell him. And he said, this is Obadiah. What? Have I sinned that you would deliver thy servant into the hand of Ahab to slay me? Elijah, you need to know, verse 10, as the Lord thy God lives, there is no nation or kingdom where my Lord hath not sent to seek thee. And when they said he's not there, he took an oath of the kingdom and nation that they found thee not. And now thou sayest, go tell thy Lord, behold, Elijah is here. (laughs) You want to get me killed? Basically is what he's saying. And it shall come to pass as soon as I am gone from thee that the Spirit of the Lord shall carry thee whither I don't know. So when I come and tell Ahab and he cannot find thee, he shall slay me. But I thy servant fear Jehovah from my youth. Was it not told, my Lord, what I did when Jezebel slew the prophets of the Lord? How I hid a hundred men of the Lord's prophets by fifty in a cave and fed them with bread and water? And now thou sayest, go tell Ahab, behold, Elijah is here, and he shall slay me. He was pretty much sure of that. And Elijah said, as the Lord of hosts lives. It's the first time it's used the word... Jehovah Sabaoth, Jehovah Sabaoth, the God who is over all, the Lord who, is. and so keep in mind what they were worshiping. And Elijah uses this Hebrew term for who the true and living God is. As the God who is over everything lives, you can continue to worship Baal, you can continue to worship gods that do not exist but i worship the true god of heaven you can as the lord of hosts liveth before whom i stand i will surely show myself unto to him today so obadiah went to meet ahab and told him and ahab went to meet elijah and it came to pass when ahab saw elijah and i like this part i this is so like the world and that's another history that that's an uh, Another lesson here. The world's always going to blame God. Or the world's going to blame God's people. Look. And Ahab said unto Elijah, Art thou he that troubles Israel? Blaming Elijah. Blaming God for Israel's problems. And we all know who was to blame for Israel's problems. See, the world wants to blame God's people. The world wants to point an accusing finger and say, and and just twist it all around. I think there's a word for that gaslighting or something like that. But that's exactly what was going on here. That's what was going on here. Are you the one that's been troubling Israel? Oh, but Elijah had the courage. Elijah had the wherewithal to look him straight in the eye. And he says, and he answers, I've not troubled Israel, but you. And your father's house. And that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord. And you have followed Balaam. You're the problem Ahab. You're the one that's doing this. Now therefore. And Elijah had. He, he, he wasn't done. Now therefore send and gather to me all of Israel into Mount Carmel. And the prophets of Baal 450. And the prophets of the groves 400. Which eat at Jezebel's table. Count that up, there's 850 men who worship a false god. Who are radical false god worshippers. And so Ahab sent unto the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together into Mount Carmel. And Elijah says unto the people, How long are you going to jump between opinions? How long are you going to leap "...between opinions. If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered not a word. Then Elijah said unto the people, I, even I, only remain of the prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let them therefore give us two bullocks. Let them choose one bullock for themselves, and cut it in pieces, and lay it on wood, and put no fire under. And I will dress the other bullock, and I'll lay it on wood, and put no fire under." and call you on the name of of your gods, and I will call on the name of the Lord, and the God that answers by fire, let him be God, and all the people answered and said, yeah, let's do that. That's well spoken. That's a good idea. And you know why they said that? Because, they maybe just for the activity and the excitement of it, but these prophets, they were men of faith. Don't lose sight of they were men of faith, except their faith is in a false God. See, it's not enough to have faith. And we talk about that all the time. People are talking about, well, I have faith. Well, if if the one you have faith in is not capable of doing, of saving you, then your faith is pretty much void. See, these were men of faith, and they're getting ready to demonstrate how much faith they had. They're going to cut themselves. They're going to jump around and they're going to holler and they're going to call on Baal and they're going to have knives and, and they're going to be slicing themselves and they're going to be doing all sorts of things in order to get Baal's attention. You, you don't do stuff like that unless you have faith. But you see, their faith was in something that had no ears, no eyes, No heart. Your faith has to be in the real, in the true, in order for it to be effective. But anyway, let's read on. We're going to run out of time. And Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, you choose one bullock of yourselves and dress it first, and you call on the name of your gods. And they took the bullock which was given them, and they dressed it, and called on the name of Baal from morning even until noon, saying, "Oh Baal, hear us. But there was no voice nor any that answered. And they leaped upon the altar which they had made. Faithfully they leaped on the altar. And it came to pass at noon that Elijah mocked them. Hey, Elijah, you're only one man. There's eight hundred and fifty, four hundred and fifty 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of the, of the grove. You, I don't know about you, but you don't mock 850 people unless you have certainty that you're sure of the God that you serve. And how mighty he is. And it came to pass that Elijah mocked them and said, cry aloud, for he is a God. He's being facetious here, right? Either he's talking, or he's pursuing, or he's on a journey, or maybe he sleeps and you need to awaken him. And they cried aloud and they cut themselves after their manner with knives and lancets till the blush gushed out upon them. And it came to pass, when midday was past, they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that there was neither voice nor any to answer, nor any that regarded. They worn themselves to a frazzle, jumping and cutting. And Elijah said unto all the people, Come near unto me. And all the people came near unto him, And he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob unto whom the word of the Lord came saying Israel shall be thy name. Now folks, regard the division had happened. The northern kingdom, the southern kingdom. But when it came time for God to show his power he shows a united Israel. He shows what he offers and what he can do. He wants to make sure they understand and get the full impact of what God is saying here. And, when the stones, and with the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench about the altar and great as wood contained two measures of seed. So about a half a bushel. It was, it was deep. And he put the wood, wood in under and cut the bullock in pieces and laid him on the wood. And said, fill four barrels with water. And pour it on a burnt sacrifice and on the wood. And he said, do it a second time. And it, they did it the second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. Twelve barrels of water. Now, two things. Number one, if you want to start a fire, what's one thing you don't have? Water. You don't pour water on something. And I'm sure that bull, that sacrifice was just dripping. 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 Plus, understand this. You talk about faith. What was one thing that was in low supply of? Water. And, and Elijah's saying, I want you to pour. That was precious. That was a precious commodity. And Elijah says, pour water on it. Because you know what's going to happen? It's going to rain. It's going to rain. And so, sure enough, and it came to pass... At the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice verse 36 that elijah the prophet came near and said lord god of abraham isaac and of israel let it be known this day that thou art god in israel and that i am thy servant and that i have done all these things at thy word hear me O lord hear me that these people may know that thou art the lord god and that Thou hast turned their heart back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell, and consumed the burnt sacrifice, and the wood, and the stones, and the dust, and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their face, and they said, Jehovah, He is the Elohim. The Jehovah, He is Elohim. And Elijah said unto them, take the prophets of Baal and let not one of them escape. And they took them and Elijah brought them down to the brook of Kishon and slew them there. I'm telling you something, folks. God meant business on this day to draw His people back to Himself. And the reason they had gotten so far away is because they neglected the Word of God. As a nation, they did not know what God's Word said. As a nation, they had neglected knowing what God's Word says, His promises to them, the insights that they needed in order to serve Him faithfully. Whoa! what a contrast of two kings. One godly leadership, one leading people to worship false gods. And I'm telling you, we have a lesson we need to learn. We have a stand that we need to take. In order to make sure that people know that this day we serve the true God of heaven. That we love him. That his word is important to us. That the word of God is not going to be blasphemed. That the word of God is going to be treasured. And the faithfulness of God his people when they turned back to him regardless of the sin regardless of what had taken place he forgave them his he his desire was to show them that he was their god he was the one who loved them and he demonstrated that in faithfulness and i'm here to tell you this morning that if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, because the greatest demonstration of God's love ever was when He hung on Calvary's cross and He died for you and He died for me. So you might have life and have it more abundantly. It was on the cross that He'd paid the debt that you owed, that it's from the empty tomb that shows that He has the power and the authority to save you. And that demonstrates what he can do on your behalf. Don't be like Israel and reject the word and say, well, that's that's not true. What we do today is we believe that Christ died for us. He was buried for you. and He rose again for you. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning and we thank you that your word is real father we come before you this morning we're thankful for what these contrasts demonstrate to us and how important it is that we look to you father we come acknowledging this morning that you are the true god of heaven we come acknowledging this morning that you love us we come acknowledging that you sit on your throne and our hope our trust our future is in your hands Father, we love you. Our desire is to serve you. Father, use us in a mighty way to tell a world that's so desperate to hear truth that you love them and that you're willing to save them to the uttermost. Father, make us faithful ambassadors. Father, help us to teach and preach the word and truth. Now, Father, I pray this morning if there's anyone here that's never by faith believed in Christ, that in the quietness of these few moments, that the Holy Spirit will just move on their hearts and convict them of their need for you. Father, that that moment, they'll become that new creation. Father, it's not based on their deeds, not based on their works, not based on the things they've done, or not even the things they haven't done. But it's based on what you've done on Calvary. We pray these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ who is Lord of all. Amen.